All right, this is the New Glarus Brewing Podcast with Dan Carey. I am Scott May. How, how are you doing this afternoon, Dan? Doing all right. Busy, but doing all right. Yeah, no, it seems like uh, it seems like this should be like a slow time, but it really isn't. I know. It's, yeah. Well, it's preparing. It's preparing for spring, like you know, like a farmer. We're getting ready for planting. We're getting ready for you know spring production. So it's busy. Yeah, one of the the big takeaways from my last three years here is um, there is like you guys always talk about the on season, the off season. There really is no off season for you, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there's always something. There's something yeah. that needs to be done. Yeah, there's always always like I said, like running a farm. There's always something to do. Always something to track down. Always something to fix. Always something bring. There's always going to be another batch of beer oh, yeah. coming through. Oh yeah. Speaking of which, we're sitting here with two bottles of Dancing Man wheat. I love this beer. When. I was trying to think when the last time this came out was. Oh, gosh. Uh, I think it's probably two or three years ago. Yeah, and this was one of those ones that was like, uh, as as sure as the sun is shining, Dancing Man was usually around in the late spring or, yeah, or, or summer. Or summer, yeah. and then uh, it, it started taking sort of an every other year thing as other um, as other seasonal brands started to also pick yeah, up steam, well, right? Yeah, we kind of make a one Weiss beer every year, and you know, we sometimes we make Bubbler, um, or Hopster was another one that we've made, or you know, cracked wheat or copper kettle. So, uh, but but it's been kind of uh, ping ponging with Bubbler. Yeah, and this this beer to me has probably your guys is uh, outside of Spotted Cow. The Dancing Man logo to me is probably the one I associate as like an iconic thing for you guys. Yeah, this was our first, really our first vice beer. And that was your that was your passion in the early days. Oh yeah, I when we started the brewery in '93, when Deb and I were talking about it, uh, I was kind of imagining just running a Weiss beer brewery, only making wheat beer. Um, in, in a, when I was an apprentice in, in uh, Bavaria, there were very small breweries uh, in the neighborhood that only made Weiss beer because it's a very specialized process, yeah. specialized equipment. And I thought, uh, you know, it'd be kind of cool just to be a Weiss beer brewery. And Deb was kind of like, eh, you know, I don't think it's kind of a niche uh, flavor, especially in America. People have a hard time wrapping their head around Bavarian style Weiss beer. So um, most of those little breweries are really, really small. Yeah. And it's probably good that we didn't. But this is definitely, um, this is the king of our vice beers. And it smells like it too. Like when you, when you're, when you're first getting a nose on this thing, it's, you can, you can smell that it's like, uh, and I might be off here, but it, this is a bigger dog, right? When it comes oh, to, yeah. You, yeah, you can sort of smell it's going to be, y- yes. it's going to be a hearty sort of, you know, uh, sort of bread in a glass kind of beers. I like oh, to y- think about them. Yeah. It's a big beer. It's, um, I don't know. It's like six and a half percent alcohol, something like that. Oh, that is so good. That is so good. Like the, you know, just sort of that orange, that orange peel pithy kind of thing, that very, that, that very Weiss beer, um, slightly bubblegummy, slightly sweet, yeah. orange peel, bubblegum, like banana, oh, clove and cinnamon. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, and it's hazy. It's kind of a, uh, orange, uh, um, blonde orange maybe a hint of brown. Um, it's definitely a uh, big beer. And you were, you were saying you were, you were in Bavaria when you started sort of tinkering around with, with, with Weiss beers. Cause I know what got you over there, right. Was, um, Oh, 
was it a was it a Bach or what was the beer that Deb sent over there that got you your your internship? Well, uh, it wasn't it wasn't a beer that she sent to Germany. Gotcha. Uh, I worked at a brewery, a small brewery, uh, well, medium sized brewery in, in uh, near Munich, and the 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 owner of that brewery was visiting his importer in mm. uh, in Seattle, Marchand Duvin. And I had sent beer out to Mershon Duvin um, to uh, a friend, uh, Charles Finkel, who was the uh, the man who started that business. He was really one of the first people to bring in specialty beers in the United States. And so he brought a beer over from the Iyengar Brewery. And so uh, Deb would send send Charles some of our samples of our beer. And we made Kessler Bach beer. Yeah. And, and we also made a Weiss beer. Uh, way back in those days. And so she sent the beer out to Charles, just, you know, like, Hey, just taste this beer. And it just so happened that the, um, Franz Inselkammer, the the man who owned this brewery, uh, near Munich uh, was visiting. And so they tasted the beer and said, Oh, it's pretty good. You know, this kid's doing all right. If he ever wants to come visit, he should, uh, he has an open invitation. So, um, that led to one thing. And, Charles Finkel wrote a um, letter of recommendation and a letter of introduction. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Deb and I and the kids moved over to Bavaria and I went to work as an apprentice brewer. And that's always like a very fascinating chunk of your your sort of story to me because, you know, it's got sort of like a fish out of water with the whole thing. And, oh, yeah. and, and, but you're also at the beginning of like your career and you're, you know, so you have to be sort of nose to the, <laughs> the grindstone a little bit you know, while you're there. And I always think about like, uh, you know, how that, you know, how that works and how that plays out and, and thinking about, you know, coming back and, and, and working at a few other breweries and then wanting to start your own and, and sort of being enamored with Weiss beer. You said you'd made, you know, Weiss beers before that, but was your love of Weiss, Weiss beer sort of, uh, did it sort of flourish in Bavaria just because of the prevalence of the style over there or? I would say yes, but even before then, I liked Weiss beer. There was, um, in the early days of craft brewing in the uh, early 80s when I was starting out, there were some really nice uh, Weiss beers. Um, uh, the, the, the Walters Brewery in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, actually was making a really nice uh, amber Weiss beer that I just thought was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, it was, it wasn't, a, they didn't sell a lot of that beer, but, uh, so, um, I always from day one really loved Weiss beer. And I, I sort of have a, a question. We were talking about this, um, a little bit before we started recording, uh, just when we were, you know, talking about stuff we, we had covered in the brewing process and stuff like that. Um, but one of the big mysteries in brewing to me, and it, and it seems counterintuitive in my mind, because uh, you think when you talk about water, you sort of know, like you think just as a person, like as a human, like I know about water. But when I hear people say like, oh, yeah, water is actually the most important ingredient in beer and, and how important it is, it occurred to me, I truly have no idea what they mean by that. Like, is it an alkalinity thing? Is it a hardness, a softness thing? Does it have to do with you know, ground sediment or the water tables, like what makes water so impactful on, on beer as, as something that appears to be sort of an inert or neutral ingredient as far as flavor goes. Yeah. Uh, all the things you mentioned are, are, are part of it. And, um, when, when brewers say that it's 
an important ingredient or the most important ingredient is because, you know, water makes up 90% plus of a glass of beer. And so um, <clears throat> water is is uh, an important ingredient. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not so much the water itself, but what's dissolved in the water that has an impact. So uh, flavor is a lot about subtlety and small things mm-hmm. that make a huge impact. And water contains um, dissolved minerals, dissolved material in it. And those things have an impact. So you, you know that when you cook, uh, how you salt things, how much salt you add to food um, will have an impact. So for example, yeah. I find with salt that <clears throat> when it's um, used at a mm, sub uh, sub threshold amount so that you're not really tasting it, it has a tendency to lift up the flavor. It just makes food taste brighter, meaning that food without salt sometimes can be bland. So if you have the right amount of salt, the the food seems brighter and more appetizing. So it enhances the appetite, uh, or excuse me, the how good the food tastes. Yeah. Um, if you add too much, it starts to taste salty, which is detracts from mm-hmm. uh, enjoyment. And also, if it's really high, it almost starts to get bitter. Yeah. So. Um, my point is, is that the presence of sodium chloride in food has an impact and the concentration in the food will change how it's manifested. The same is found in water. So water can include sodium chloride and have the same impact at low levels. It can give sweetness to beer. Um, there is other minerals uh, besides sodium and chloride um sulfate ions also can enhance the uh, dryness of beer so a lot of times uh, brewers will add calcium sulfate to their brewing water mm-hmm. or if they're lucky to have it in their brewing water it will enhance the dryness of the beer thus the drinkability of the beer and calcium chloride will enhance the um fullness the sweetness of the beer um then the presence of the calcium or magnesium will have uh an impact on the ph and the ph the the acidity or alkalinity will have a huge impact on the whole brewing process mashing and boiling and all the way through the process so it may not necessarily at the levels that you find in water will not necessarily have a huge impact on flavor but it has an indirect flavor by impacting the acidity or alkalinity of the system and also they are um uh brewing is a has is a lot to do with the presence of enzymes. In fact, the concept of enzymes and enzymes are everything in biochemistry and everything that in the science of the human body and everything uh, that's biological uh, has to do with enzymes. The concept of enzyme was discovered and invented by brewers. So the the brewing process is highly impacted by enzymatic reactions. 
enzymes are catalysts that cause reactions to happen. And the reactions that happen in brewing are important to turn barley malt into final beer. And so the presence of things like calcium and magnesium can enhance these reactions. Also, they're important for yeast for the same reason. Yeast Mm -hmm. need them as micronutrients. Yeast also need things like zinc and iron um, uh, and a whole other copper, whole other series, just like we do. They need these minerals. And so if you have these minerals in the right amount, it will enhance the fermentation process. If the fermentation is enhanced, the beer will be better. So uh, these these micronutrients can, can be in the water or they can be in the malt or they can be in the hops. Also, then there are negative things in water, uh, things like iron. Iron causes the beer to stale, too much copper, too much manganese, um, uh, alkalinity, things like bicarbonates will skew the pH and make the beer taste harsh. So it gets, it gets extremely complicated. Um, and, um, also, whether the water is chlorinated, chlorine mm-hmm. will have a negative impact. It makes beer taste kind of uh, what brewers call phenolic, medicinal, gotcha. like medicine. Um, also, uh, if the water is groundwater, meaning from a well, or if it's surface water, meaning from a river, um, will have an impact because there's organic matter in surface water that will um, negatively impact beer. So most historically brewers brewed with the water that they had at hand and breweries were built where there was good water. Well, or more or less breweries that were built where there was bad water would go out of business. And those that were built around areas of good water would prosper. And then when scientific methods became more, more sound and People started to understand they could study what was you what's unique about this city? What's unique about, for example, Burton or Pilsen? What's mm-hmm. so unique about this water that makes this beer taste this way? So n- now we've come to the modern world where certainly you can just most <clears throat> water, most brewers are brewing with city water. Yeah. And that and that's potable water, meaning water that's suitable for consumption. And that will produce uh, a passable beer. But if you really want to make the absolute best beer you can, you need to devote the same amount of enthusiasm and study and research into water as you do with yeast, malt, barley, and hops. Wow. Yeah. That does seem like, I guess that's off so many questions in my head. Cause it seems like an eminently, you know, expansive um, canvas, right? Yeah. Water with what can be in it. What can, so the first one is say you made dancing man wheat at Iyengar. It wouldn't taste exactly like what's in this glass. Uh, in in the concept of what you're trying to ask is the short answer is it would not taste the same theoretically. However, however, ironically, the water of new Glarus is very similar (laughs) to the water of Munich. So it would, Gotcha. But, but you are correct in saying that a different area would make a different. If your water is different, your beer will taste different. If you change your water, your um, your beer will taste different. Uh, 
And the changes, small changes in water chemistry can have a huge impact on the beer. Once you've got everything else figured out, I mean, you have to have your malt squared away, your hops yeah. squared away, your yeast, your process. Once you have those things squared away, then you start looking to your water because subtle changes in the water will make noticeable changes in the quality of your beer. But but, but as I said, um, Nuclearis water is very similar to Munich water. So... <clears throat> Recently, there was like two big snowstorms in Madison, right? Like the the first one came and it dumped a bunch of snow on us. Uh And then we had about a 24 hour reprieve where it was warm or whatever. But uh, then a cold, a cold snap was coming and another snowstorm was coming on top of that. Oh, maybe we should do a podcast about the failure to to plow the roads to clear the roads. And this, well, this is what I'm getting at because one of the reasons given, and it's not a a reason I'm not uh, unsympathetic to, and I, but I do think you need to strike a balance between kind of doing nothing and just dumping loads of salt on on the road. Um, but one of the reasons given was that the water table is, uh, Salinating, basically, yes, just over yeah. generations, over yes. time, it's it's starting to happen with 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 the salting of the roads. Yes, is that something that would be of a concern to a brewer? Because in my mind, it's like if you ask me how much salt is too much to put on the roads, or how much salt is not enough, I, I wouldn't, I would have no clue. But as like as a brewer who ultimately has to study water, just as a you know as a piece of your job. Is the salination of the water table do is that a concern for you on any level? Uh, yes. Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, as a citizen, we have to want to protect our waterways. Yeah. Um, uh, and we can probably do a whole podcast on this, but, but, uh, the, the problem with sodium chloride, when, what, what we call salt is that it's, uh, the water has a high carrying capacity for it. A lot of other mi- minerals would drop out of solution and drop to the bottom of the lake, yeah. but sodium chloride, um, is very very soluble, and we you people know that from you know dissolving salt in water, like sugar in mm-hmm. water, it dissolves, and water has a high holding capacity. And sodium sodium chloride is, um, you know, it's it's deleterious to to plant life and to fish, and certainly we cannot drink uh, seawater, although seawater is pretty well saturated. But um, yes, if if the if the sodium chloride level gets too high, uh, it could be problematic. But um, we use groundwater uh, mm-hmm. to make our beer here. We have our own well, and um, the well is 250 feet deep. So it would be a long time before the uh, sodium chloride level would start to increase. Yeah. Um, but certainly, if you wait until that starts to happen, uh, it's too late. Um, a bigger concern than sodium chloride, and, and I'm not saying that sodium chloride is not a problem because it is. Yeah. M- mainly for for fish uh, and animals and, and plant life and us. But <clears throat> as a brewer, uh, nitrates. Uh, nitrates uh, are um, uh, a byproduct of, of fertilizer. fertilizer. Yeah. So... We are in an agricultural area, uh, lots of fields of corn. Corn is an uh, energy-intensive uh, crop. It mm-hmm. requires a lot of inputs. Um, and, and it doesn't like to grow. And it doesn't, you got to fertilize it. You gotta, it's gotta like, it doesn't just like to grow, apparently. He, well, I mean, I'm, cert- I'm certain that you could find uh, old-school varieties uh, that, that would grow um, w- without any with no inputs, certainly, yeah. certainly, uh, ancient varieties, uh, were probably more 
uh, drought resistant. Uh, but, but if you want to start, um, uh, uh, yielding 200, 300 bushels per acre, yeah. you need lots of inputs and, and, uh, modern, uh, agronomy post, uh, green revolution is all about, um, minimizing costs with the highest yields and feeding the maximum amount of people. Certainly the green revolution came out of a need to, to, to feed the world when uh, the man who came up with the concept was absolutely horrified when he saw people starving around the world and yeah. came up with this idea of um, modern, modern varieties and, and um, inputs like uh, petroleum based fertilizers, which, you know, yields have skyrocketed. So, you know, corn yielding 300 bushels an acre is absolutely insane. Yeah. So, and really, and really not that old of a concept. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, maybe we've come to the, uh, end of the, um, the value of the green revolution and we need to look at something else because we're reaching the carrying capacity of the world. But I digress. The point I'm trying to make is, is that in, in, in land that is in, um, intensely farmed, um, the if if too much nitrogen is applied because sometimes historically not anymore farmers are pretty clever they're not going to use more nitrogen than they need to because it's now extremely obscenely expensive yeah um due to the war and cost of natural gas etc cetera, etc cetera. but um so it will leach its way down into the soil and and into the into the groundwater and nitrate is not something that you want in your um in your brewing water, it's yeah. deleterious to yeast and it's also deleterious to babies. Generally, in my experience, um, our core market is not babies. So <laughs> that's not really the, the issue for us. But yeah. for drinking water, it's not something that you want. Uh, and in Europe, it's a real problem because um, th- certainly they've had a lot, many, many years of intensive agriculture and they're much, much more dense, densely populated. Mm-hmm. So uh, nitrate levels in groundwater in Europe is something that people pay attention to. So that's probably a bigger problem than sodium chloride. So, and this will be my last question before, before I get off this topic, which honestly has become very exciting to me, this, this topic of water, because it touches on so many things, I guess. Um, but you say, okay, so you brew a beer like Spotted Cow. It's a flagship beer. It goes everywhere. You brew that in 1996 with 1996 water. Yeah. How do you ensure then that the, that that beer stays consistent when water doesn't, the water doesn't stay consistent? Yeah, that's a good question. If that makes sense. The, the, the quality of the brewing water is extremely important to Spotted Cow. It's a fundamental, uh, component of that beer. And, uh, so, we um, we check our water chemistry every week. Some things are checked daily. Um, things like alkalinity, uh, chlorine residuals, presence of um, iron. Uh, also, we on a once a year we do a full analysis on the water uh, to look at all of the chemistry of the water, and that would include um, presence of, of pesticides. Uh, are we finding any pesticides? Um, we check for things like glyphosates, uh, also known as Roundup. Uh, so pesticide residuals are another yeah. thing that we didn't really talk about. As I said, nitrates, nitrites, uh, and all of the basic uh, minerals that you would find in water. We do a full analysis. And 
every municipality also does that. Mm -hmm. So I believe you can, whatever city or village that you live in, you can uh, go to their website and get a full analysis on what the water looks like. And so we pay attention to what our water is. And again, the beauty of using groundwater, meaning water out of a well, is it's, it's generally very, very consistent. And that's why it's important to pay attention to what you're putting on your soil because it will percolate down into the groundwater to the level of uh, where the water is in the ground. And, um, you know, pesticide residuals and also the, the, new, the new concern that people have discovered are uh, PFOS or forever yeah. chemicals, which um, in, in some areas where they're, um, these, these materials are being used or manufactured is also becoming a, a problem because a lot of these problems can be overcome through water treatment systems, mm-hmm. but uh, PFOS or forever chemicals, they don't, don't, they don't get filtered. Well, out and, there's yeah. not really a cost effective way to remove them. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it is a real, real important thing that people need to pay attention to because with groundwater, once it happens, you're kind of done. It's kind of game over for uh, yeah. for a bit. <laughs> yeah, and and you know these. Uh, I feel bad for people that are um, that have wells n- near, near fracking or where PFOSs are being used or where nitrates are are excessively used. Or you know, you look at places like Flint, Michigan. You see what happens. I mean, oh yeah, lead. Yeah, yeah. you know, we talk about a lot of things, but um, people worry about the price of gasoline for example and i'm not saying it's not important but if you don't have water price of gasoline is not so important well yeah and what i found in with the lead thing especially you know you know city like milwaukee is that you can change out all the pipes up to the house it's that exchange on the the median yeah you know what i mean or the the easement or whatever yeah you know those things you got to dig up like have yeah. the street to get out and it's it's a very expensive process well you know the thing about lead is is the pipes the lead you know the the word the word plumbing or plumber comes from latin which is lead lead <laughs> uh i think lead is uh the the chemical formula is pb which, okay uh, so 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 lead pipes are are nothing new they've been around since the time of the romans and I think that the, the, the trick is, is that the lead pipe gets coated with mm-hmm. the buildup of calcium yeah. and, and that protects the pipe. And what happened in Flint was they changed their water source and they neglected to correct the aggressiveness of that water. Oh, and it's and that peeling it, it off. It peeled it off until it reached down to the lead and nobody was either they were being negligent or they weren't paying attention or they didn't care. I don't know which it was. Yeah. Uh, Cause lead's kind of like asbestos in the way is like, oh, as long awful. as it doesn't move, it's e- fine. E- e- exactly. But, that's a good way of saying but it. But it's not that's really. The, yeah. And, but the human body will hold on to it. Yeah. So particularly for children, it's, um, it's pretty catastrophic stuff. So, you know, we, we started off this conversation talking about dancing man, and I'm really glad you broke down water for me because it, it, it like, it really did occur to me a couple of days ago that, that was, you know, I, I had no idea why the, like, I, I get it. There can be stuff in the water that can Im- impact, you know, the beer, but I, I didn't get the why of it or the, how it tends to happen. Um, 
so I'm really glad we got we got into that. One of the things I wanted to say about about Dancing Man is, uh, you know, because I talk a lot when we're doing these, my beer tends to warm up more than it, it does uh, at my normal drinking pace. And this is really pleasant as it's coming up to closer to not not exactly room temperature, but more like cellar temperature. Yeah, it's getting really, really pleasant. And it's becoming really, really uh, smooth. Well, you can taste the, the wheat. Uh, uh, Bavarian style Hefe mm-hmm. Weiss beers should be made with at least 50% malted wheat beer. Most craft beers made with 100% malted barley. So this is 50%, actually 51% uh, a wheat or a little bit more than that. Uh, wheat, malted wheat, and then the rest is malted barley. So you really get that bready character from it. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it is really, really good. And the, the other thing is this was another case where I had uh, some meetings uh, in Madison and then and came down this. So I got these bottles uh, cold just over there at Roy's Grocery. Oh, and, and they sold me two oh, singles. Oh, store-bought beers. Yeah, okay. yeah, two singles right here. Um, but I noticed... Um, this was in six pack, uh, you know, six, six pack bottles. But I also noticed this was in twenty four. This was in twenty four pack, uh, twenty four packs. I think. Yeah, it's in cans. Twenty four pack cans, and yeah, and uh, that packaging for this beer at that at that um, at the case uh, mark is, is that seems new for this, right? Yeah, it is. It is. It that, is. that is re- that is really cool. I like how you guys are starting to think uh, are starting to think about different packages for your for your beers. Do you know if there's you know, sort of a, a reason why something like a dancing man would make it into 20, like a case style uh, package as uh, opposed to, you know, like the, uh, you know, more like the four pack or like anything like that. Um, so at, um, at the Hilltop Brewery where this beer is brewed because we have our open fermenters and we make this yeah. beer um, with open fermenters in the traditional way, <clears throat> meaning that there, there's no top on the tank. So the beer gets a, gets a nice fruity character. And at the Hilltop Brewery, we can do, uh, we can do 12 pack cans or 24 pack cans. We have machines to do that. Gotcha. So, uh, we can have, you can have 12 packs or 24 packs. Um, the Riverside Brewery where we make many of our specialty beers, R and D beers, and a lot of our thumbprint beers, they're uh, only four pack uh, capability. Gotcha. Well, I can de- like for me, this is like a perfect beer for a case package because uh, to me, this beer is is as sort of refreshing and as it, it is on sort of the same uh, level of refreshingness and like taste wise that you'd want from like you know. A, like a, a spotted cow or a totally naked or something you can put in the fridge and have just to grab a can out and, and just have w- one with dinner or so you, you kind of know what I'm getting at. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also very highly carbonated. So it yeah. has a spritziness. Uh, it's uh, these, this, this family of beers, Weiss beers, Bavarian style Weiss beers are generally not highly hopped. Yeah. So uh, in order to balance the sweetness of the wheat and barley, it's got a little bit of more of a carbonation spritz. And the other thing is, is it's, it's naturally, uh, carbonated. Um, I know, um, uh, uh, a friend of mine who's a baker wanted to use, uh, 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 Grant Johnson wanted to use the yeast from a bottle to, to make bread. Oh, really? Uh, and so he wanted to know uh, if this uh, beer had live yeast in it, and it does. And it's the same yeast that we brew with. So so it is fermented in the bottle. So the carbonation comes naturally um, in the bottle. So 
yeast is a really good antioxidant. So this beer, I mean, it'll taste great for, um, I, I would say for years. So if you drank, if you bought a 24 pack and you kept it relatively yeah. cold, like in your, in your basement or in your refrigerator, it, it's not like a IPA where it has to be drank now. Yeah. It will, it will be good. Um, it'll be good for a long, many, many months, many months. The the word I think I was searching for, for this beer and at six and a half percent, it's, it's a, you don't see many of those getting described as this, but this is an eminently crushable beer. Yeah, it is. It, it really, it is. really isn't. And that's a, a word I, I kind of got familiarized with uh, in the past like year or so. And I, I wasn't sure if it was like, if that was gonna, if that word is sort of like viewed as a good thing or, or, yeah, or no, not, it's definitely a good thing. It's <laughs> yeah. sort of an American, like I, like we talked about before. There's drinkability, which maybe yeah. I think, um, maybe that seems like a funny word to to a non-brewer, but drinkability um, just means it's it's you can drink it. It's yeah. easier to drink. Or the English call it Moorish, or the Germans say Gesuffic. Um But crushable, it would be a young person's version of drinkable. There we go. So now, so, that, so now I know the, the etymology on it. So I feel very, as the resident English major, I, yeah. I feel comfortable now uh, with crushable. I, this is a crushable beer to me. Like yeah. I would keep this in my fridge. Uh, just like if this was a year round beer, I would have it in my fridge pretty much year round. Just cause like for me, a wheat beer like this, you know, and I know a lot of people think the, uh, you know, the American style lagers go pizza burgers and stuff. For me, yeah. something like this is a pizza. This is my like pizza. And well, burger you know, beer, it's, you it has, know? it's certainly weedy. It yeah. certainly has the weediness of a pie crust for sure. It, it, it does. It's or ab- a pizza pie crust. I mean, and, and it's absolutely probably one of my, my favorite, you know, just wheat beers around. And as I said before, and I always like to give this a shout out. This is actually my, this is my favorite label. You guys, you guys have, I absolutely love this drawing on here uh, of the dancing man. There's just something, uh, something sort of quintessentially you guys about this. About yeah, this well, label. this is completely Deb, you know, with yeah. the kind of the, 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 uh, cutout letter saying dancing man, and the, the guy dancing, this is something that Deb put together. This, I think I've mentioned previous podcasts that this beer used to be called Solstice. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we found that, um, I guess, modern people don't spend a lot of time outdoors. So a lot of people, uh, many people, did not know what Solstice, what the Solstice was, was what yeah. it meant, what it referred to. And also, um, brewery down the road from us uh came up with a, uh, we have this, we've had this beer forever. Um, they came up with a solstice wit beer, a solstice wheat beer. So Deb called them and said, you know, we have a trademark on that name where we're using the name solstice. And they basically said pound sand. And <laughs> so, do something about it. Yeah, exactly. exactly what they said. <laughs> well, yeah, they were very, very sweet people and said, yeah. um, yeah. Uh, so Deb just said, you know what? It's not a very good name. I'm going to change it to dancing man. And so solstice turned into dancing man. And, we let the other brewery down the road mm-hmm. in Monroe ha- have the name Solstice. Mm-hmm. And of course that, that beer died and they don't make it anymore as far as I know. Yeah. Well, you know, karma, it's, it's karma's a bitch. It's, uh, it's really sad when it happens to such good people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Dan, I, I thank you for your time and I'm really glad to see dancing man back around. I absolutely love this beer. It's one, it's one of my favorites and yeah, I'm a stock up on it too. Oh yeah. And you guys gave us those new, uh, 30th anniversary work shirts and it's got the big dancing man on the back. I'm, I, I, I think I got that shirt like a month ago. I am wearing it out. Like, already probably getting holes in it. I'm wearing yeah, that. I thing think so you much. wore it at Disney World too. I did. You? 
Yeah, I did. I wore it to this one. I, I always wear my new Glarus gear around because people are friendly to me then. Yeah, they are. People say, oh, you know, yeah. Wisconsin. I go around kind of looking mad all the time. So yeah. I have to have like a, I have to have like a nice uh, shirt on or something. So people are like, oh, he looks mad, but yeah. <laughs> I like that but beer. But he's wearing so. a happy shirt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Dan. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.